Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. I'm your host, Matthew Bliss, and welcome back. It's good to see you again. Hungry for more content about teaching and learning and the education system in Australia and beyond. Now, this week is going to be one of our interview episodes, and this is an episode that I recorded quite a while ago. So, if the quality is a little bit different than what we're used to in the last couple of weeks, then you'll have to forgive me for that. But part of the reason that I took this interview and wanted to interview the person that I did is because there's a lot of questions coming up on the Australian Teachers subreddit at the moment, which, if you're not aware, is a great home and a great community for Australian teachers to get together and converse about all things related to teaching. But a particular question that comes up quite often there that I've tried to jump on as much as I can are teachers that are thinking about moving away from the profession or current students who are studying to be teachers not being sure of what kind of future they can have with a teaching degree if teaching isn't going to be it. Now, I should say this is a podcast in support of teachers. If you enjoy teaching, if it is your passion, then you should keep pursuing it. But there are going to be a number among you, especially in these trying times, that are looking for other careers because teaching just has become untenable for you. And one of these areas that can be incredibly useful is customer education. Dave Darrington, that I'll be interviewing today, is one of the preeminent customer education advocates in software and technology, design and education. And he's got a really interesting perspective. He has come from a background of tertiary teaching and learning and really bootstrapped his way up through education the way that we'd expect any regular teaching story to be. But he has a lot of insights for teachers who are considering alternate careers, which I think is an important thing. And I want to make sure that there's something not just for the teachers who are looking to improve their practice, but for those who are looking for other careers. And I've got to tell you, one of the things that I keep telling a lot of teachers that that approach me with this question is that an education in teaching, being able to teach and even having practiced for one or 20 years, gives you a set of skills that no one else has in an industry like customer education. So if you are considering an alternate career, or even if you aren't and just want to know what's out there, this interview is for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Dave Darrington. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, and this week we are welcoming welcoming Dave Darrington to the podcast. How are you doing, fella? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Not too bad. Now, we've brought you on this week to talk about uh, entries for teachers who are currently practicing to go into other careers a little bit and talk about your very special niche called customer education. (laughs) But before we get into that, could you give us a bit of a background on your path through education and where you ended up today? I'd love to, Matthew. It's it's a weird journey. And usually what I'm doing these days, I've got a I've got a long background. So I said, go look me up on LinkedIn. It's Dave Darrington. Um, <laughs> it's got all that history there. But the story I want to tell is a fun one. And it's probably non-traditional because I realize that your audience likely is, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong here, but likely is uh, filled with a bunch of teachers <laughs> who have gone to school, learned to become teachers, instructors, and all that. We 
safe assumption, yes, right? Definitely. Um, you've <laughs> been teaching professionals and now you're looking, you know, what are the other opportunities out there? I fell into education roles. I think the story I like to tell is about my neighbor. My neighbor Risa lived across the street from me. We we became family friends, and you know, my family and their her family, kids would play together and stuff. And she's a teacher. Uh, she taught in in high school. And one day, or secondary school, she said I was talking to her about all the cool things that I was doing in the class I was teaching and how I'd fall into that. And she goes, "Oh, Dave, you found your inner teacher." You know, she, and she was saying that inner teacher, that calling is important in education. And like, I've always felt like teachers are kind of called to this craft because there's a certain kind of DNA, a characteristic you want to help. You like to, you like to be in front of people. You like to talk. Yeah. I do that all the time. I got that one checked. <laughs> so I fell into education through the back door where I had gone to, to university and I'd studied chemistry and physics and music. And I was a good nerd student, right? Somewhere in there, Matthew, I found myself and I go, I like the science thing. And why do I like it? I studied chemistry primarily because it was hard. It pushed me. It challenged me. Did I know quite what I wanted to do in uni? No. When I got out of that, I found that I really had this love for STEM and teaching and being, you know, like doing all this technical stuff. And as I got into my career, I found out more that what I loved, and there was one formative experience that I'll tell you about, what I loved is that classroom experience. So somewhere in my career, I remember I was working in a laboratory. What I liked most about working in laboratories, not all the gook you get all over your clothes and the acid and the bases and yuck, you know, it's, it's not glam glamorous. But at the time I was in the lab, we were going through a trans transition just like we are today in, in technology. So let's connect the dots. So today, and while you're probably listening to this episode, is you're thinking, hey, you know, there's a big world out there. What's changing? Technology's changed so much that we have to learn faster. We have to learn more. And a lot of it's on us. The post-COVID reality, the post-pandemic reality is now we're doing these things online. Education, what you were designed and brought into this world to do, my friends, on this, this podcast, now has opened up a new world. It, it, like this is what what came to my eyes is that, oh, there's all this learning you have to do that nobody's teaching. So in the lab, I was working, going back to lab, I was, I was working to help people understand how to go from these old mainframe type computers to working with modern stuff, more or less like what we do today. You've got like a cloud thing, they call it client server. And I found this joy in going into labs and finding, well, why can't you learn? Why is this too difficult? Or, you know, what was the challenge to learning a new system? And it was just because people are busy. They didn't have an opposition to it. Maybe it was a little scary, but what I loved is relating and saying, oh, this is how we're going to do what we do today. And I'm already doing it with you. And I was working with these people to teach them alongside them on how to adopt and use this new platform. And that blew my mind, right? It, it is, it's called, we call it enablement now, right? We call that um, training or learning and development now. It's, these are the same things we've done forever. Mm -hmm. That formative experience of me working in the lab and like getting to the point where I'm in front of a classroom teaching all the people in the, you know, I've worked in a plan of 11,000 people, teaching all these people how to use these things got me started. And I look back, I started to, I started to progress. I ended up teaching as an adjunct, uh, an adjunct professor at a university. I did that for almost, you know, you know eight years, two universities. Um, it was fun, you know, getting into 
this other edge of teaching that's now opening up even more was an exciting journey and I'm really glad to be here. So that's my, that's my Genesis origin story. <laughs> well, it's, it's inspiring. I think there's probably a lot of people listening to the podcast now that would, that would commiserate with that idea that there was just, there was yeah. an aha moment with someone where they were trying to teach something and they went, oh, this, this is actually mm -hmm. pretty good. I, I like doing this. Maybe this is the job for me. <laughs> yeah. But I would like to hear more about your adjunct teaching role with the university um, because we did have a chat about that a, a few weeks ago before recording this podcast. And um, you had some very interesting approaches as part of that teaching as well. Let's let me definitely talk about that, because when when I got into university, uh, let me tell you how I fell into it first. So mm -hmm. prior to me teaching, I was I was running a company. I had a full time job. I was a chemist. Actually, I was in a lab. I was a scientist at that point doing different stuff. But I had been running video game tournaments. Uh, and they call them LAN parties. If anybody, any of you know what that is, you bring your computer or your Xbox or whatever you get together, you get on a network and you play for an entire weekend or a week, you know, stop. It's not good for your brain, I'm sure. But in that, I learned so much about video games that I'd, I'd work with developers and companies and like all these big names. And one day this opportunity came, landed on my plate. Hey, you know, this uh, Webster University is teaching this game design class and they don't have anybody to teach it. Are you interested? Like, yes, yes, you can't hold me back from this. I will absolutely do this. So I started teaching mm -hmm. an introduction to video game design. I, I mean, it blew my mind at first. So I inherited like the syllabus and the rubric from the prior teacher. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of crap. There's no fun. This is just like a uni, uni class. Like, I don't, I don't want to do it like this. You may have heard of Jane McGonigal. She wrote a book and I don't have it with me, but it's called Reality is Broken. Mm -hmm. This book blew my mind because it talked about different ways of approaching education. Uh, example, Jane talked about this thing called Chore Wars. And Chore Wars was a little PHP-based web app. And I, I taught web development, so this kind of got into my bag. But this web app like put kids together, competing together, gamifying their experience of doing their chores, their mundane chores from day to day. I'm like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. But then she talked about other things like um, a depression application that helped teach you things about depression and got you engaged and got your mind off of it. And like all these different kinds of video gamey type experience that taught us. I'm like, hmm. So you wrote this book on how you're saying reality is broken and the way that we can approach learning experiences using games and video games. How could I work with that? And what the thing that blew my mind really was when she started talking about how teachers were now gamifying their courses and she didn't go very far on this. So all of a sudden I had inspiration strike and I said, I am so sick and tired of grades. I'm tired of this learning experience where how much do you have this experience? You have a student that's in the back of your classroom. They're sitting back there like this. They're not really engaged. Doesn't look like they care. They doesn't look like they even want to be there. Why are they, why are they in a class? They're paying all this money for this class, right? What's your intrinsic motivation? And I looked at that student every semester and the students that got F's. Like, why are you getting an F in a course that's a that's just fun? You know, it's it shouldn't be a big deal. Why are you why are you failing? What's going on? It was all about engagement. It was all about motivation. So at that moment, what I said, look, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the table, try something completely different. And what I did is I looked at, I researched what Jane did, I looked at some other kinds of approaches for learning and came up with what I call game two thousand. And it was a I built it from scratch in PHP and MySQL. 
and built a whole platform where now there were like I, I, I would step into the class every semester and say this. The first semester was so much fun. All right, class, we're going to do a completely different kind of teaching this semester. And here it is. And I laid it out and I said, it's all based off of this website. Go to game2000.us. It doesn't exist anymore, so don't go there. Okay. Um, <laughs> you need <laughs> create an account, right? And now every student had these tasks to do. And they were all, every, every activity in the class was on this website. So what I'd ask to, to do would be write re game reviews, uh, do their assignments there, and we'd all peer review all of our work, including me. And so every class was, I would talk for a few minutes and then, I would, then a student group would come up and talk and present on the topic that, that I would lecture on that, that day, but they would show us a game and talk about that experience and tie that to the lesson. And then when we we're done with that, the class would score it and they would give um, a critique of how well that group did. And then at the end of the class, we would open it up for what I called show me's one-on-one. -on -one. Like Matthew, you might show up and say, I want to talk about Tron, how great it was at arcade by Tron. I saw it in a pinball gallery this weekend. So that's why I thought about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you would come in and say, I'm going to tell you about this great game that you might know about. You know, I learned so much about games from the students in my class and we had a good time doing it and nobody failed. Right. Nobody didn't even get a bad grade. And I and like it flattened the curve and it pushed everybody up and they were all engaged and having fun. But we learn 10 times more because of one thing. And that's I said at the beginning of class, I want you to be OK, Matthew, with failing. And a student's like, what do you what? What do you say that to a student? I'm like, yes, because that's what's wrong with our educational system. If you. Matthew, don't have license to try something and fail because you're worried about a grade. Why are we here? I want you to fail because you learn faster. So I didn't put it in those contexts. I was like, look, you could do something and totally jack it up and do it again. What's holding you back? It's just your time. Do it a third time. I don't care. And every time a student would do something, it would increase their grade. So you saw students that were like low in the leaderboard. Like, and I'd update this once a week, every week and say, the leaderboard's up, everybody look. And then you could go and see where you're at against your standing. So it got everything. It, it was really fun and it was rewarding and everybody could catch up. That was the experiment, the grand experiment. I wish I could continue doing that. I'm not teaching at that level anymore, but uh, it was a different way of thinking about education. And did you hear positive responses from your colleagues who taught in different ways? And did you have an opportunity to share that with other people? Yeah, absolutely. And they were like, what in the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> You're making my life harder. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's a, I mean, I think it was like, that's really cool. The, the feedback I got that was most valuable was from the students in the end of term survey. And they'd come back and like, I, I was never more engaged in a class. This was fun. It took a lot of the stress and pressure out of the normal, you know, like I'd always enter with uh, you're worried about like, let's say you have a thousand points available every semester. And you can only lose points. It was a punitive system. And the students were like, now I know I can go back and I can try something again. That makes me, and, and you're not slacking either. You know, it's not like, oh, screw up. The, like I didn't give tests. I didn't give quizzes. We had activities. That's the reason I could get away with it. But from peers, they're like, that's really cool. I really like it. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't something that I could easily just share because I had built a system and I couldn't say, hey, Matthew, here, here you go. You can use it too. 
Yeah. <laughs> would have been way too much. Yeah. I, I imagine for any teacher who would try this, it, it would be very specific to them because not only does it require you as the person leading it to have the philosophy mm -hmm. and the design in mind, but also to be able to structure all of the tasks and the way you approach the students in a way that adheres to that philosophy as well. Because th there's been a lot of discussion in probably the last five to 10 years about what they call student-centered design in K to 12, which is very much that. It's uh, having the learner drive their education. And you don't hear about it often in tertiary, I guess, because of all of those layers of academic requirement and transactional, the transactional nature of how people generally approach that higher level. So it's really refreshing to hear someone tackle something a little bit different and have the students that you presided over learn something new. And of course, education in video games, something that connects yeah. strongly with me as well. It's a, it's a coming field. We need to see more of it. And with things like Oculus and and, and newer technologies and augmented reality, I think it's going to get really interesting. And just to glance off that point a little bit, because I know that sometimes teaching with video games can be a bit of a touchy subject in the K to 12 space, which is where mm -hmm. most of our audience would be. Where do you see education going with video games and that kind of immersion in VR? Do you, do you see it just around the corner or do you think it's still a couple of years off? I think it's, I think it's, mm, that's a really hard question. And it's because, well, it's, it's only hard because you know as well as I do how technology sometimes explodes in a viral way mm. and, and comes at you from a way that you would have never expected. Yes. The, the thing about VR, it's been with us for a really long time and it keeps getting a little better and getting a little better, but it's not going to be really adopted by our academic world, like our you know, education world until it's commonplace. Yeah. Right. It's like. I can easily put this on. It works because why I got a classroom of 20 kids. I don't have time to deal with all the things not working. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, or the affordability part of it is like, if I have a pair of glasses that I could just give to a, a, a student and now I see, Oh, there's my agenda. My syllabus up here appears and I've got a time left on quiz little thing. And like, this is uh, an inherently transformative experience that we're going to go through that's going to revolutionize everything. Mm. And I just don't, I don't think we're there yet. I think, I mean, look, look what happened. I don't know if you were on the side of it that I was, but during COVID where we were, had students at home that we were trying to do our J job and trying to get the kids to, to learn. And they had to manage all of this extra digital sensory input. I, we just need simplicity. If, if it's an AR program and it's just a pair of glasses with software that's just there, yeah, that's going to help a lot. Like what I want as a teacher is, hey, let's look at a map of the earth. Here's a globe and I'm spinning the globe and go, you know what? We're going to look at this thing here. And now you have Egypt blow up and you see the pyramids looking down in real time from the sky, from a GPS, you know, orbit. Like that's the classroom experience that I want. Or, hey, kids, we're going to go. Look at this topology map when you're flying down in a fractal surface. Those are the experiences that you want. I want to take what's in my mind and be able to blow it up and show you what's in my mind physically so that there's no question about connecting the dots in an education framework. It's like, I saw what Dave was saying. It's not, he didn't hear him telling about it and I'm writing it down on my piece of paper. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot. It's, it's probably going to be like this. It's probably just going to be there one day. And you're going to go, oh, my God, who would have predicted this? 
Mm. You know, that ha- that's everything. Yeah. <laughs> Some new disruptor is going to come out of nowhere, like a Khan Academy in AR and VR, and it's going to blow your mind. Part of the reason I ask is because there's a very strong push from big tech companies to create the metaverse now. And there's going to be large groups that they'll want to target with how that metaverse, whether it works or not, is going to yeah. function in well. It's going to be corporations and businesses, and it's probably going to be education. Like back in 15 years ago, when they talked about having classes in Second Life, that really old, yeah. old immersion game. Im- immersion in inverted commas, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, it's a really interesting stance. Um, I'm hoping that connects with teachers in our audience too, because having just something you chuck on your face and connect to everybody is much better than uh, plugging a cable into a laptop or yeah. relying on the network and then having to call the IT guy because the projector's not working and then pulling out the old, uh, uh, I don't even remember what you call it, the the thing with the slides. Overhead projector, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> with the transparencies oh and stuff. Anyway, we won't go wax nostalgic on technology. We might um, start pushing forward a little bit. Student-centered education, the design of the curriculum for tertiary, that was the stuff that really cemented you in education for other people. Yeah. How did that take you into what you do now in customer education? Mm. You know, I think it's, I think fa- in, in an absolute fact, I, I remember that I, I've been in tech for all my life. You know, I used to run a website called zzz.com.ru. I mean, I, I don't really mention talk about the Russian connection, but the point was it was like this really weird technology site that we talked about, like all kinds of interesting, innovative things. And then I had another site I called Technofelicity, which is all about the love for technology. But then all throughout my career, I've done nothing but work in technology, science, technology, engineering, you know, all this kind of stuff. I think for me, it's been the absolute requirement to get in to figure something out that's very technical and not have any help. That's my life. So I'll give you an example. I used to work at a company. It was called Tripos. And Tripos was now called Certara, C-E-R-T-A-R-A. It was a molecular modeling company. It was like CAD, you know, the computer-assisted design for chemistry. And this was the most darned complicated software I've ever used in my entire life. And there was just some documents put together, nothing really telling me anything about how to use it or how to work with it. And there are people that are like, for any educator, that I think there's a similar vibe of, I'm going to learn this and I'm going to learn it well enough to be able to tell somebody else about it and help them learn it with the expectation they'll probably do better than you will. That's a teacher. I want you to become better than me, but I'm going to help you get to a point where you don't feel scared. You're not overwhelmed. You understand how to approach something. So I taught this program, Sybil. Sybil, if you, if you grew up like when I did and had to take psychology in high school, Sybil had the famously incredible number of multiple personalities. Was, this app did too. It had 50 different modules that can do different things. It was just so complicated. But between that, between that and trying to teach people how to use this really sophisticated technology, and working in a laboratory and trying to teach people how to use sophisticated technology. And I always kind of like falling into that role of that, okay, this is that nerd who you just go to because they're curious and they're gonna figure it out and they're, they will tell you all about it. All these experiences and like video games for another thing. Video games are, perf- are great educated tools because they are 
vested in teaching you how to play the game itself. And the more games you play, the more strategies you see some people coming up with to teach you how to work through a solution. So I feel like that as well, that approach of teaching game design and understanding the foundations of what makes games fun and how to play them, that's all wedded. Like all these things all come together to get me where I'm in today. Today, I work in customer education. And what customer education is, for all of you out there listening and curious about other fields you can go into, it is, it's both new and not new. Customer education has been around for 40 plus years. There's a book on it you could look up. You could spend a hundred and something dollars to get off of Amazon. There's the first book on customer education way back in the 80s. And, but it's about how businesses, like you know, large businesses, Microsoft, whatever, originally thought about how a customer would use a product. And, 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 the, and 40 years ago, they were saying the same thing that we are today. If you don't know how to use this product, what's going to happen? If I don't spend, like, let's say I'm, oh gosh, okay, I'll, I'll use a product. Like I talked, I did an interview with um, Nick Meta from Gainsight, and he's CEO of this big company that has software that's relatively sophisticated to use. Is it a software company's responsibility to teach you, Matthew, how to use the software if you bought it? Yeah. <laughs> because who else is going to do that? Yeah. But the problem is famously, startups, startups are neat. Startup cultures. I love startup culture. If you have a curious mind and you're willing to deal with a lot of wearing different hats and playing different roles in your job and you want to learn fast, you go work in a startup. It's a great linchpin for your, it's a great accelerator for your life. So you have to learn so much and subsume so much to be able to be productive and nobody's laying it out for you. So in tech, we found out that hmm, we weren't really doing a good job of teaching anybody how to use the software we make. Why? You know what? Didn't think about it. Why? Because I'm moving so fast to build it. So historically, we've built documentation, but what we've left out in, and, and I'm, I'm talking, I mean, use some geeky terms here, B2B, business to business, SaaS, software as a service. This is the space that customer education is primarily in. Our job now is to bring out like experiences and small videos and workflows and like, how do I do this thing? And like a customer is busy, they're not lazy, they need to get something done. And if they can't use your software, they're gonna, they're gonna quit using the software. We call that churn. It's an dr overly dramatic word that expresses the point that in subscription economies, you know, you have a membership to whatever service, you go to the gym, that's a subscription. If you don't go to the gym every week, why are you paying for that subscription? If you don't use my software every day, why are you paying for it? So this is a really different educational field, but it's so much more exciting because now you got something on the line. How do I motivate people who I don't, I can't see or touch sometimes to use my product to learn it very well? That's an interesting problem set. And you know what? We need people with education background that understand the good, you know, how to make content sticky, how to engage people in learning material, how to get to outcomes, because we don't have a lot of that. And, you know, that's, that's like really what this space is about. And that's why I'm thrilled about it because there's a lot of different things to do and learn. I'm always learning, but my niche is to build that content that meets the needs of those people. So with the customer education experts that you've worked with so far, obviously you'd be the primary one yeah. in the context of the conversation <laughs> we're talking about here. Um, dare I say the best. How much 
do you know that they use that would be considered regular and traditional teaching practices in the stuff that they do? Like we're talking about, um, yeah, you know, ad addressing learner needs directly, building course curriculum mm -hmm. based on the tech as well as the delivery of the content, including assessments as part of it. Perhaps it, it probably isn't something that you do often in big tech because adults are adults. But yeah, uh, how many of those aspects would you see? in a regular customer education approach to teaching software? You know, I, I would say all of it comes into play in some way, but it's very different. And, and here, here's what I'll say. Let's, let's imagine you've been a, a classroom teacher, you know, maybe fifth, you know, I don't know, sec secondary, primary, it doesn't matter. You have a certain way of, of interfacing with the world. You know, ideally you have a classroom, you have students in that classroom, your technology could be books, but increasingly so you have computer applications and things that they do at home. That edge is very similar to what we're dealing with here because in customer education, I have a suite of technologies. I call it a stack. You know, when in tech, we call things stacks. It's sometimes it's like my email and my database and my website that it's mundane things, but we're nerds and we just like to describe words to certain things. Um, but let's like, let's break it down a little bit. A lot of teachers don't have to build their own curriculum, you know, depending on where you're at. You, you have a big, big part in that, but you will have materials that you can bring to the table and then you can assemble them how you want or how your school district does things. Right. I mean, it's it's normal. You have material, you absorb that material, you present that material. In customer education, you often don't have any of that. So here's the first thing you need to go. Like I, I've had teachers come in and go, oh, my God, like. <laughs> like I, I'm going to present something like, well, where is it? Well, what do you mean? Where is it? Well, you have to build it. Okay. Lesson number one, I have to build content. So the being a researcher and an investigator is something that you may not have too much skill with, but most likely because of how you approach education, you're going to do a really good job at building the material. Similarly, this is where some of your real skill sets come into is, okay, how do I measure what's the learner is is, is, has done. How do I, how do I show that it's got impact? Impact might not be so much what you do in the academic world, but measurement sure is. You can get into good old Kirkpatrick and talk about all the levels. We don't go that deep, but we do do things like quizzes and we do th ultimately at the far end build certification programs. And it's really more of a, what I, what I would say is really great with teachers is they have a good ability to say, I, I know what needs to be taught. I know how to bring that to life. I know how to craft a really good experience about that. But the difference will be largely with the tools and the timing and how they're all brought together. So you're not necessarily going to be sitting in front of a classroom. Now you're going to be recording on-demand materials or doing a virtual instructor-led class with a group of, of customers. Um, so skills you have today are 100% going to translate, but the way they express is like you can't come in eight o'clock and say, let's go. No, it's going to be all kinds of different things. I'm building, I'm t interviewing, I'm talking, I'm creating content. It's a different kinds of a fluid motion. So hopefully it gives you, paints you somewhat of a picture of how your, your unique abilities as an educator, the, the most important of which is your ability to engage with human beings, get into their mental processing space. And that's where I think we have a huge impoverishment of resources. The thing that a good teacher can can bring into the technology world is that passion and that energy for the teaching of a subject itself, and then bringing 
people along on that journey. So I, I think I'll leave that there, but that's like my thinking on how, like I really do think, like we could talk about the flip side of it is what are the things that you're gonna be challenged with, but the things that you bring to the table as an educator are immense. I think it's, it's, it's really good that you talk about that because uh, any teacher who is considering a different career because of the landscape of teaching currently, they'll be wondering where they can apply those skills that they have already. And there are gonna be people out there who say, well, look, you're a teacher, right? You can teach anybody anything. Yeah. The realistic nature of going into something outside of education, but using your ability to teach means that it will change, that there'll be different levels at which you use your ability to teach and the approach that you use, particularly in tech and with other adults, Indeed. that will adjust a little bit too. In saying that, it is exciting. And, and like, that's what I've done. And yeah. why I'm really glad to have you on the podcast as well, because- I did my teacher training. Mm -hmm. I immediately went into IT training, which was just your basic classroom-based environment. They gave me a bunch of things to talk about Microsoft Office, and then I told people about it. But then it grows into something. And when you can embed yourself in creating the curriculum, as you said, like you yeah. have to build all your content yourself, it invests you in it. And then all of the teaching work that you do just kind of flows through it, and it becomes you know, it, it becomes your course. You don't have to worry about behavioral management. And <laughs> like generally, if you've got a room full of software users and developers, generally- Oh, that's not true, Matthew. Come on. <laughs> you've had nightmares. I say generally, Spicy. not 100% of the time. <laughs> I, I've had myself an, an instance where a few people have been, you know, a little bit, you know, I'll be generous and say that they were a bit rowdy. You know, generally adults are there because they either want to be there or they have a reason to attend whatever you're learning as well, which, you know, half the battle of, of teaching in K to 12 sometimes is getting the, the students to the table and preparing them to listen and to actually engage with you and what you're trying to deliver. Which, Matthew, is- You sound skeptical. No, it, no, I'm going to say that that is exactly the problem that we have too. Think about it like this. You know the term learning and development. You know, we have a lot of people in learning and development. Like there's a mad dash to go into L&D for a lot of people in education. L&D is different and benefits from one reality. And I call it the fish in the barrel principle. Got a bucket. That bucket's got everybody in my company in it. They don't do my training. Fish in the barrel. I can make you go and take training. You're not going to like it. it. It can be the suckiest training. You still got to do it. That sets the bar for education so low. If a learner doesn't have any say in the fact that you, they're mandated to learn content, okay, great. We have the same kind of mandate experience as a lot of educators do. Like I might be dealing like, okay, I have been in a classroom with children. I have substituted in fifth grade and stuff. Bless all of you souls out there because oh <laughs> that's why I didn't go into education. Like, oh, wow, this is a lot. But I mean, I kind of liked it. I, and that same nature, if like some of the best people that make it into this field, give you, give you a story, real story on a call with a customer. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to name names. not going to talk about the company, but we commonly get people that fight. They're like, well, I'll never use this thing. And there's, I have my own process and I'm really great. And like folks will do that. And the best teachers are the ones that are like, you know what, Jimmy, sit down. You're going to go to the principal office if you have one more. I mean, you could do that here too. It's a, a nice conversation with the VP of marketing who's their manager and there's no more problem. 
but you do have to have classroom management skills mm. and they're really important. And that ability of an educator who works in the classroom setting, fine tune and say, you know, Matt, I see, I see you're in the screen right now and you've been looking down a little bit. Matt, are you okay? You know what? I want to have, you know, like that rapport that you have in working with students is a really good skill that comes well into play here because you do have to do that kind of thing. Absolutely. That, and that's right on the money from my experience as well. The people who are driving the education and shooting those fish in the barrel that just deliver what they have to, and that's it. You're right. That is the lowest bar. But teachers coming in with the ability to, you know, point someone out of a crowd and say, hey, you're not as engaged. Is there something we can do to, you know, bring you back into the conversation and, you know, deliver this in a way that makes sense? Or, yeah. or my perfect scenario for the role I've been doing currently is three out of the, the 10 people in the room ask, oh, what was that step two steps ago that you, you mentioned? I'm not up to that bit yet. So that's when you, you hear, okay, I should probably slow down a little bit, maybe take a bit right. more time to explain. And then between each step, do a lap of the room and make sure that everybody's up to the stage that we're at. Yeah. Which, you know, you're fish in a barrel guy probably doesn't do that. He probably sticks to his script. He says, okay, it's uh, 5.36. It's time to move on to the next stage and look at the script and that's it. Yeah. That's, if, if anything, there's anything that teachers take away from our conversation today, I want it to be that. Exactly what you've mentioned there that, you know, it's not going to directly translate, but there's going to be so much of what you do as a teacher that still works effectively and is sorely needed Sorely in needed. the fields that we work in. Absolutely. Now, in terms of customer education and what you do, you also have your own podcast, don't you? Indeed. <laughs> customer Education Lab. Yeah, the Customer Education Laboratories. It's customer.education. And we've been doing that for a few years now. And actually, uh, Matt, this, this year, we have, uh, we're taking it to the next level. We're doing a lot to get more companies engaged and more people that are really wanting to learn about this field. The, the research, the like hands, you know, I'm in the trench. I've done the work. We're practitioners first. And we also are bringing in leaders that have seen like the whole group perspective of like, I'm leading a team and I'm developing programs. Uh, we're getting them to speak about it, including some sponsors as well and products that are really helpful in the market. So yeah, if you want to learn anything more about customer education, follow us. We have some really good episodes. I think, in fact, episode 73 I think it was with Monica Sindwani, uh, who was a recent person that made this the leap over from uh, academia, academia, and she used to, I think, the University of Colorado, and she made it into software, and she's loving it. And now she's a manager, and it's just really cool to see. Yeah, I think that her story was the one that brought me to your podcast yeah. initially, and how I discovered you. That her career was so diverse, ridiculously diverse, but she took all of that educational, academic stuff that she did as a Professor and just it lended so well to whatever she she pursued after that. So yeah, absolutely. Anyone listening to this should jump over to the. It is just CE Lab, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, customer dot education. You could also Google C Lab, and it's not like the oh gosh the Cartoon Networks series, but C E L A B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Um, is there any other resources you'd suggest for teachers thinking about moving across from standard education into something like customer um, education? There is one. I, I, I forget the name of the podcast right now. I'll have to get you that afterwards. But there are some more shows that are coming out now that are speaking a lot more. Tom Stoddard 
um, is, is the gentleman's name. And they, they basically, he and, um, a fellow he's got a PhD and he has a fellow PhD and they both came from academics, but they're both working in tech and they talk about specifically changes, um, from in, in this kind of field, like teachers going into technology. So that's, if I can find the link, I, I will definitely share that, but there's a growing number of sites right now that are talking about this very thing. It's really interesting to see, like there's almost a peregrination of educators getting out of the field and going elsewhere. Thanks. You kind of get paid more <laughs> yeah. and respected quite well. well. We haven't drawn on it too much for this episode, but um, I think most of my audience is Australian. And mm -hmm. look, the situation is probably better for teachers here than it would be in the US at the moment. Yeah. And uh, on a previous episode, we've talked to a teacher from Illinois that uh, actually felt quite well off compared to some states in the US. So oh, wow. it's a bit disparate in terms of- It is. Of the remuneration for teachers, but at the same time, it's a shared experience post pandemic that, that teachers are looking to other fields because it's been so, there's been so much pressure, so much uncertainty after coming out of the pandemic. And there seems to be no support for teachers out there to, to help the world and its children try and navigate the new world that we're in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a really interesting exit. If you allow me to share one last pearl of wisdom, and I think that you would ask of me before we we cut out for the day, it's absolutely. I'd I'd like to do a little bit of um, PSA, you know, a public service announcement. And I I see this. There, there's a gentleman named Mike Yates who is in the United States who's been streaming or been doing a lot on LinkedIn and talking about this education crisis. And I'm a son of a teacher and network of teachers, and I'm doing this myself now. And education is so important, so fundamentally. How else do we? How else do we learn? How did we learn? You know, you can't. We can't all learn stuff on our own, right? We have to have some people help it. So, if you are an educator and you're thinking about leaving, like going into a different field of education, number one, kudos because that's a really big step. But also spend some time to really think about that. If there are things that like, do you really want to do that? One of the things I'll say, not, not trying to be negative at all, but, but I want you to have your eyes open. Let's say you go into technology. Let's say you go into software as a service. The biggest caveat and the biggest obstruction to that experience is quite frankly, the speed. And if you find yourself in it now, now, like I've been in school environments and there's the frantic day, you know, of like, oh my gosh, I got to do this. And I go to this class and I go to this class and I keep this. And you, that's a lot. I mean, that don't. Don't get me wrong, but the cadence and the flow and the demands that come from working in a, we call it scaling, growing, hyper growth type environment. I mean, think about all the businesses that come out in the world that $4 billion, $10 billion, $20 billion valuation and all this crazy stuff. A flip side of that is people that are trying to do these jobs to help that company to skyrocket. Our teachers in this space are really important. The, the, the downside is that Velocity is really fat, really intense. It, it really, you got to be ready for it. So there's things you could do to prepare yourself. And, you know, one is, do I really want that kind of lifestyle? Yes, you will make more money. But the, the flip side of that is that there is a lot of stress. And as companies learn how to do this, and this is something I'm working to fight against, to show formal ways to do education in hyper growth type economy, uh, environments, you may feel that pressure. You jump in and you go, oh my gosh, this is a lot. If you jump into a management role, it's even harder in some ways because now we're also dealing with remote work. 
keeping teams led, you know, but um, I mean, there's a lot of challenges. I don't want to dissuade you. Some things that I think will really help you are this. Number one, if you're going to learn anything, learn how to build on-demand content, pick up Camtasia, pick up, you know, whatever, like learn how to make videos, learn how to use things like articulate storyline, how to assemble on-demand material is, is table stakes in this industry. If you can do it and you could do it all the way through, including recording the audio yourself, you'll be very, very in demand. And that's the skill that you use anywhere. It, it, less so on SCORM, but I think that's important. And live instruction is also important, but it's also a trap. So where we come from academia and we're working in a school, that's all live instruction, right? But in, in the world of software, that time you spend in a classroom is time multiplicative, taking people away from jobs that they need to do. So intentionally, what you need to do is flip your perspective to say, how can I reduce that live instruction time, put it on demand, and then use the time we do have as being more of a advisor, a trusted advisor, a partner in learning. So those crafted experiences scale faster, meaning, okay, I build one video. That video can be watched a million times without me doing any more work, as opposed to I had to train a million customers one-on-one. -on -one. It's going to take me a million hours. That's called scale. And that's the number one thing in our business that you have to think about. If you know how to make education material go to many and not just one, and then that will take care of most people, but then you have time for the superstars and the people that aren't doing so well. You know, this is the problem we deal with in education too, is how do we keep a cohort of learning students that are together who have a bell curve distribution moving along? In SAS, we do a little different, right? We appeal to the 80% through on-demand or one-to-many materials, but then those who need more are going to pay for that and we're going to give that to them. So it's a, it's a really good learning space. Look broader. Look broader. Do your research mm -hmm. and be ready for a fast-paced environment that requires content creation. Indeed. And a lot of it. I think that's like, I think you've gone deep sea diving there and we've got like four or five pearls, which is a lot. I think <laughs> we can definitely end the podcast on that. And you anticipated that last question. I always ask, what are your pearls of wisdom? Well, folks, plenty of them for you to engage with. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me on the podcast today, Dave. It's been really enlightening. I certainly hope we can get you back again at some point soon to talk a little bit more and uh, good luck with everything that you're doing. I really, I love the space that you're in. I'm really interested to have a closer look myself. Well, thanks, Matthew. It's really a wonderful opportunity. I'm glad you reached out because these are the kind of things that make us all learn more. And uh, you know, to all of our Australian friends, a uh, company I work at does a lot of business in Australia. We actually have an office there. We're called Service Rocket. So uh, reach out to us if you want to talk about that as well. But most likely, hopefully this helps all of you. If any of you have questions, like you're really going towards specific jobs or you know interviewing or looking at things, I'm not I will tell you if I don't have time, but I am definitely open to ask answering questions. You can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Dave Darrington there. Just connect with me and I'm happy to connect with you. I'll be sure to share all of the stuff that you've talked about in the show notes as well. So anyone listening, if you're curious to find that quickly, check the show notes. It'll all be there. Thanks so much, Dave. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you, Matthew. That was Dave Darrington talking about his journey through tertiary, gamification, and then onto customer education and how it's a viable alternative career path for practicing teachers. Check the show notes for any links that Dave has mentioned during our interview. 
If you'd like to be a guest on an episode of the Teaching Culture Cast, please send a message to teachingculturecast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode and other episodes on the Teaching Culture Cast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But more importantly, if you did like it, tell your staff members, tell your colleagues, tell your professional networks that the Teaching Culture Cast is the podcast for them. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you here in a couple of weeks.